0: Our primary question is, what do you want? What is your heart's desire? Now the culture tells us what to want, right? It has a thousand ways of telling us what we should want. Religion tells us what we should want. But the lady has planted seeds in each of our hearts. And those seeds are particular to each of our souls. And knowing what those seeds are, we can begin to help them Mm. grow. And then we help them grow through prayer. Prophecies have foretold,
1: and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore
2: balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shana Connors.
1: With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
2: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey loves, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Clark Strand and Perdita Finn, the authors of The Way of the Rose, which is a book that got passed along my friend group until it got to me. And then I passed it along to more people. It's that good. And so I cannot wait to share this wisdom and this magic with you today. And before we do, I would love to introduce our very first sponsor, goddesswell.co. Highest quality women's products for your highest self, specially formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power. Goddess Well is a company led by my sister and fierce Latina, Marcella Siegel. She was a global sisterhood facilitator back in the day and has been on a journey with us. And this is her latest creation. And right now I'm taking the capsules from the Harmony line, which is for hormonal and mood health. It has 60 milligrams of nano CBD, which is more than in any other company in the market. And each capsule is infused with essential oils for my hormonal and mood health. And there's a whole array of products for menopause, for PMS, for sexual health, and more products are coming that aren't even CBD-based. So I'm super excited about this incredible company that's so filled with intentionality and ritual. So how I'm taking this capsule every day is I hold it in my hand, I say a prayer, And I pray for health of my nervous system, the health of my spirit, my body, my mind. And then I ingest the capsule and I go about my day in a more calm, present way. So right now there is a special offer for any Goddess Well product, buy one, get one free. And the request is when you buy your own product and you get one for free to gift it to a sister And share the love. That way, we're building a feminine economy, we're building sisterhood, and we're caring for ourselves at the same time. So, you can go to goddesswell.co and put in the link sisterhood at checkout to buy one and get one free. We'll also put the links in the show notes. All right, now let's get going with the show. Shayna and I are just beaming. We're overflowing with joy because we have two very, very special guests today. We have Clark Strand and Perdita Finn, who are authors of an incredible book, a book that was passed to me and then I passed to many, many, many people. So It feels like such a treat to have them on the podcast. The book is called The Way of the Rose The Radical Path of the Divine Feminine Hidden in the Rosary. And for some of you who may have heard me say this on the podcast, the rosary is my everything. I love the rosary. I remember when I was a little, tiny girl, I would play with my grandmother's rosary. She wasn't living anymore, but I would hold her beads and I could feel beyond the veil her presence and the presence of this motherly figure. And I used to take walks as soon as I had some freedom to walk into the neighborhood and go to the local Catholic church when there wasn't mass. And I would go into the altars where Mary was and I would light candles. And I just felt this incredible connection. Even though at a certain age, I didn't resonate with Christianity anymore, her presence was always there for me. And at the age of 21, in a really dark period, I was able to rediscover through the presence of Holy Mary, the goddess, and heal so, so much. And the rosary has been my path of connecting ever since. I made a rosary and I gave it to Shayna maybe three years ago, and now she prays the rosary. And this book was everything that I intuitively felt with all sorts of history and all sorts of magic and all sorts of really deep embodied wisdom woven in. And so it's such a treat to talk about this book. And if you don't know this, Sophie Strand, who was on our podcast, is their daughter. She speaks about Sophie in the book. And we interviewed Sophie and we had no idea. And then she introduced us to her parents. And so we are over the moon. So a little bit more about them. Clark and Perdita are the co-founders of The Way of the Rose, an inclusive fellowship of Rosary Friends dedicated to the earth and to the lady by any name we wish to call her. Strand is the author of numerous books and articles on spiritual practices, including Seeds from a Birch Tree, Writing Haiku and the Spiritual Journey, and Waking Up to the Dark, Ancient Wisdom for a Sleepless Age. Finn is a children's book author and former high school teacher. They live with their family in the Catskill Mountains, Sophie being one of those members. Hi and welcome.
3: Hi. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thrilled to hear about you holding your grandmother's beads. And it just, you know, Clark and I weren't raised Catholic. And for us, but still, the rosary was our path back to our ancestral grandmothers, mm-hmm. and to feeling their wisdom and their guidance in our lives. So, thank it. Just, I'm really touched and moved. What was your grandmother's name?
2: Susan. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about this in this time where many people are waking up beyond religious dogma and they're seeking a, a gnostic path, a, a, a direct connection with spirit and earth. And so much of that process, I think, begins with the rejection and the denial of where we came from. And a lot of people, particularly people that came from patriarchal uh, religions, they tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the reclamation of prayer is something I cannot wait to dive in with you. So thank you so much. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about your journey of spiritual seeking and the discovery of of the rosary and your path.
0: Oh, well, where to begin? You know, I think that Clark and I, this is actually the eve of our daughter's birth, 29 years ago. And we were, you know, so I've been thinking today a lot about that moment about going into labor. I was in labor. I was just going into labor this time, 29 years ago the Central Park Zoo. And the question Clark and I asked in 1993, we both looked at each other. We were both veterans of a lot of spiritual questing and spiritual yearning. But we both had the same question was, what lies ahead? We both knew already that climate change was coming. And we both wanted to know, which was, What is the guidance we need spiritually for this moment? Clark was one of the first people on climate.org, you know, reading and asking, none of the world's religions seemed up to navigating this moment for the planet.
3: Mm -hmm. I was the uh, editor of a Buddhist magazine, Tricycle the Buddhist Review at that time. And, uh, you know, I was looking, you know, through all these Buddhist teachings to see if there was anything really viable about climate change, right, or ecological collapse. And, you know, you found little shreds here and there, uh, but very few of the, you know, Buddhist teachers that you know, I interviewed or edited articles from, uh, you know, had any real clue what was coming. They didn't seem very grounded in the teachings. And Perdita and I embarked on a basically, it's sort of a 20 year quest through all these different spiritual traditions, looking to see uh, if there was, were any practices, if there was any wisdom that uh, held forth hope.
0: And that journey, I was making that we were making that journey with babies on our hips. And I think that's an important detail to talk about because one of the things we both experienced was the kids were often kicked out of the room. You know, we would go to this group or that group and there was the children's hour. I always ended up in charge of the kids in some cabin as far away from the serious business as um, possible. And,
3: Buddhist Sunday school.
0: Yeah. Buddhist <laughs> Sunday school, Christian Sunday school. And it, it seemed like the warehousing of children and the warehousing of our elders. Both of these bookends seemed so wrong to me. My, my, my demented mother was living with us at the time. And I found myself as a young mother wanting a spiritual community <laughs> like Global Sisterhood that didn't, ex- I couldn't find, you know, it yet. I kept imagining, I kept saying, I want mothers and sisters without borders. I want women holding each other in circle. What is that? And in the midst of all that, my spiritually restless husband started praying the Rosary, and. Clark, who was raised Presbyterian, left it all to become a Buddhist monk at 18, was the person who taught me how to pray the rosary.
3: (laughs) I mean, I picked up the rosary, Uh, honestly. I I picked it up, you know, like so many different spiritual practices. I, I was very, very committed to Zen Buddhism for like 14 years. But when I came out the other side of it, I became spiritually promiscuous. <laughs> the best way I can describe it. I mean, I
0: studied…
3: Polyamorous. Spiritual polyamory. I. I would study with rabbis and you know imams and you know we had a
0: Jehovah's and, Witness coming to the house once a week to teach him how to do Bible study and I, I kept having to say to him he's never going to convert he's I, I, never going to convert
3: yeah that, well <laughs> I, I thought their their method of Bible study interested in me <laughs> not, not their theology but uh, but anyway I, I did pretty much uh, pretty and what about the
2: rosary. Like, what, what interested you about the rosary?
3: I was on a trip, a teaching trip uh, to the Southwest, and I, I happened to land in Taos, uh, New Mexico to teach with a friend. And when I was there, I discovered Our Lady of Guadalupe. She was everywhere. I had no idea really who she was. I saw her image everywhere. And I came back from that trip and told Perdita, I think I need to learn how to pray the rosary. And She looked at me. I
0: had a panic attack. <laughs> I thought, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I come from an Irish Catholic Boston family. My parents were bohemian atheists, but, like, I'd seen enough of the damage done by Catholicism yeah, up close and personal. So she was, suddenly she was
3: terrified that I was going to, like, you know, in one of my many spiritual enthusiasms of those years that I was going to, like, convert or something. But what happened was I taught myself the rosary because, you know, anybody, the, the rosary is wonderful because an eight-year-old with a diagram, you know, can learn it in an hour on their own. Right. I mean, it's not, it's, yeah. it's just, you know, it's so easy to pick up. So I, I started praying the rosary and, you know, I learned the prayers and the mysteries in a day. And then I, I don't know, I did it for about a month in the beginning and I found that I was able to get into a such a deep place. It was like, you know, the only thing I could compare it to was like, you know, doing a week long silent meditation retreat in the mountains that is in monastery. And so. I think I just, I convinced myself it must be a placebo. (laughs) I thought, I've just talked myself into this. This couldn't possibly work this well, right? Because we tend to diminish the spiritual practices, uh, that are, that are done by old grandmothers, right? The spiritual practices that are passed down in families, even though they're profound meditative practices, you know, the, the family and the home context tends to lead us to devalue them. I did that. And so right about that time, Perdita, you know, was having panic attacks on the highways, right, because...
0: The whole (laughs) world was feeling too fast to me with two young children. But, you know, one of the things I got fascinated by...
3: Well, but, But to complete that thought, you asked me to teach you the rosary. Yeah, in the midst of that, and I did.
0: And what I found when I took the rosary in my hands was so profound Which was, you know, I had also spent time in Buddhism and, you know, let go, let go, let go. And I needed to hold on to something. I was a young mother with a dying mother in her home. And I wanted someone to hold me and I wanted to hold someone else. And, you know, if I could just take a moment, and I'll tell you something. This wasn't in the book, but I used to do this on book tour. If anyone is listening find a bead to hold on to, maybe a bead and a necklace you're wearing or a button, and roll that bead between your thumb and your forefinger and watch how that gesture makes your body feel to just roll a round object between your thumb and your forefinger because that gesture is one of our Oldest gestures for consolation. And I, I've asked people, people are often shy. I have a feeling you two will not be. But <laughs> what, do, what, how does it make you feel? And why is that our oldest spiritual gesture? Mm, it's so soothing. It is soothing. Yeah. Do you know why it's so soothing, Shana? Mm. When we're born, our first gesture when we're born, My little girl was good at it. They (laughs) reach up their little hand and they take a hold of your nipple and they hold it. (laughs) And the milk lets down. And the mother's body is filled with prolactin and the baby's body is filled with prolactin. And that soothing feeling you feel is actually the hormone prolactin letting down in your body. And so that gesture of the nipple We can hold it and feel it. And I'm, you know, I'm remembering, of course, my baby reaching up to do it to me, but I needed it too. I needed to drink from the mother in the midst of all my life. And what's fascinating to me is I began researching beads. We've been making beads for over a hundred thousand years. I mean, tens of thousands years before religion. People made beads. When life felt stressful, when there was climate disruption, volcanic super eruptions, ice age floods, meteoritic catastrophe, what did people do? What did homo sapiens do? What did neanderthals do? They made beads. And it takes a lot of work to fashion a bead from bone, stone, and wood. And they did it because to roll it between their fingers, reminded them that the Great Mother, the Earth Mother, the Cosmic Mother was always holding them mm. and never, ever going to let them go.
3: You know, one of the things we realized as we were re- researching the book, we, we studied uh, a lot of uh, Black Madonna sites, places where the Black Madonna, you know, exists still today. That Her statues can be found. And one of the things we, we just sort of stumbled upon was the fact that in many of the places where these ancient statues that might even have originally been statues of Isis or Inanna, right? Many of the places where these statues existed, there were also archaeological sites where people had found these ancient goddess figurines going back tens of thousands of years, and the thing about these these figurines, which I'm sure you've seen, I mean, there's very famous ones like the uh, Venus of Willendorf, right? Is that they're they're all quite small, and they don't have pedestals or flat bottoms. They're not meant to stand up, right? They're not meant to be placed on any altar. They're meant to be held. And so there's this 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 very primal connection to the earth and the, the shape of a woman's body that was. Uh, there was people's first expression of the awareness that, that they were both able to hold the mother and that they were simultaneously being held by her, that the world was a mother that they could embrace and which they were embraced by simultaneously. And I think of these, you know, very uh, smooth, round statues as being like the first rosaries, right? Mm-hmm. They were the first uh, comfort objects. I think when you were walking around with your uh, you know, the neighborhood with your grandmother's beads, you know, you were reenacting a gesture that goes, uh, back into the upper Paleolithic. People were, were maintaining that connection with their ancestors even then.
1: So I'm curious about the history, of this ancient goddess figure and then becoming Mother Mary and this new age representation of the mother and then the rosary then being fashioned to become a Catholic symbol. And you explain this in the book. So I'm curious for you guys to kind of uh, give a little lay of the land for our listeners about, about what happened.
0: Sure. You know, one of the things that's hard to imagine about pre-Renaissance, pre-Enlightenment Europe is how barely Christian it was. <laughs> You know, they've done DNA studies that there are people living in these European villages whose DNA goes back 8,000 years. Incredible. Okay, so you're living in a little village your people have lived in for thousands of years. Nobody can read and write. You've got to understand, nobody is reading the Bible. Nobody knows what's in it. Nobody cares. The priest can't read the Bible. Nobody knows. And so some authority comes through and says, the lady over there in the oak tree you've been dancing around for the past 5,000 years, her name is no longer Isis or Hakate or whatever. It's now Mary. And you go, yeah, sure. Fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's the big deal? You know, and I think that the grandmothers hid their lore, that they were in the beads and in the mysteries of the rosary. We take for granted the mysteries of the rosary seem Christian when you first look at them. But in fact, weirdly, they're mysteries. They're not dogma. They're not some indoctrination into Christian theology. In fact, they're mysteries because they're linked to the Elusinian mysteries mm. of Demeter and Persephone. They actually go directly back to the Dionysian mysteries. Mm. And so this this was a way that people grafted their ancient faith onto the current empire, and they hid it. You know, our daughter Sophie once described the Virgin Mary as, you know, and the rosary as being hidden in the hull of a the stowaway. A stowaway in the hull of the Catholic Church. Right. And what you would often had until Vatican II was that. The mass was in Latin. The priests would be up doing their deal, right, their shtick, their show, up at the front of the altar, and in the back pew would be the old ladies who would be praying on their beads, doing their magic. Mm. And their magic was keeping babies alive, keeping families together, keeping food on the table, right. And they knew that the beads were well, their magic. One of the things that's really interesting is very few people know is that Vatican II is actually an explicit attempt to dethrone Mary in the Catholic Church. Uh, Charlene Spretnik, the founder one of the founders of the Green Party, has written a marvelous book about it called Missing Mary. But in fact, the attempt of Vatican II was to take away Mary's prayers, take away mm. folk devotion to her.
3: And let's think for a moment about what those, you know, pre-Vatican II. So we're talking pre, like 1962, 63, right? What those uh, uh, people at the back of the church were doing, right? Well, for one thing, there were tons and tons of feast days, right? There were, uh, you know, all kinds of novenas and celebrations and, uh, you know, basically home you know, do-it-yourself sort of forms of spirituality, they were engaging They had very little connection to the mass other than sort of witnessing it. But they were saying these prayers. They were saying basically a mantric prayer, right, that toned their vagus nerve, right, and basically put them in a state that was comparable to what would be experienced by a Buddhist monk in a very short period of time, which they passed down in their families. It opened visionary states for them. You know, they frequently had, you know, what... Some would call sort of paranormal experiences. They would talk to the dead. So they're sitting back there doing all this stuff that, strictly speaking, is not really in line with sort of modern Catholic theology. And they're praying this cycle of mysteries, okay, the mysteries of birth, death, and resurrection, or birth, death,
2: and and rebirth.
3: rebirth, or renewal, this this ancient set of mysteries that, although it's it's, it's nominally Christian, right, has a Christian storyline, actually goes back to the ancient mystery traditions of the pagan world and in which is encoded all kinds of very deep, what today we would call eco wisdom about how to live in harmony with one another and how to live on the earth. So this is what they're doing. It's been passed down in their families for thousands of years, even before there was Christianity in Europe there were these mystery traditions that got grafted onto the rosary.
0: You know, when I first came to the rosary, you know, I had a kind of, I still do, I still have an aversion to what I call the Valium Virgins in a lot of Catholic Church. Do you know what I mean? The pastel-colored Marys with her eyes downcast yes, her exactly. arms outspread, right? Like obedient little girl doing what she's told. And Well, there are two things that are interesting. One is that if you go to pre-Reformation Europe, and you look at statues of the Madonna, they're women, they're not girls. They're often bare breasted. They're often expressing milk, not just into the Christ child, but into the mouths of the faithful. So they're, they're full bodied, powerful women, and they frequently meet your eye.
3: Right.
0: They stare at you.
3: They're also not cookie cutter Marys. They have all different, uh, you know. <laughs> they they look very different. It's tremendous diversity in their physicality and in their appearance, yeah. right? Some are very dark, jet black skin. Some are very light in color.
0: If you have the opportunity to wherever you are listening, you know, go to the cloisters in New York, and there's the Hall of the Madonnas, and they're all wildly different, <laughs> and or go to the Louvre and go meet them all. And one of my favorite at the Louvre is she's got her. Breast point out and she's lifting her breast to the mouth of the Christ child who's pointing at her nipple as if to go, (laughs) that, that's the secret of the world right there. You know, these aren't, these aren't Mary's wearing veils. But what we see happen in the modern world is actually the need to robe her to make her a prepubescent girl to yeah. focus, you know, and of course, linking the rosary to the fight and abortion became a way of trying to kill it and to kill feminism at the same time.
2: Interesting. I don't. I don't know the history of linking the rosary with the fight against abortion.
0: Yes, mm.
3: indeed.
1: <laughs> the, the, ro-
3: the rosary was was used by the church at various different times from the late Middle Ages on uh, as a kind of an ideological weapon because it was incredibly popular. It was really a church within a church. And so they would use the rosary to, to try to, uh, you know, Im- influence the common people. And it didn't really work for a long time. It's only really toward the end of the 19th century that, uh, the church began to fully weaponize the rosary, use it in the fight against abortion, in the fight against communism. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, uh, you know, the rosary crusade and the family rosary was actually, uh, you know, used to overthrow small <laughs> governments in South America by the Catholic Church working in concert with the CIA, right? This was actually part of, of the Vatican II sort of attempt to harness the rosary for that power.
0: But one of the things it does is it took the rosary out of the hands of ordinary people praying for their daily wants and needs. And one of the things that Clark and I write about a lot in Way of the Rose and we experienced is, we no longer in our culture know how to, we live in such a monetary economy that we've become used to, you know, our our ancestors prayed to the lady for everything. Help me find a warm place to live. Help me find food to eat. Help my children to heal. Help my old people to die, you know prayer was the economy. Mm. And one of the things that the rosary can initiate us back into is the economy of prayer. Our Lady did that very directly for Clark and for me, because when we both began to pray the rosary together, two things happened. One, our daughter became mysteriously ill, and this we write about in our book. And the other was that we lost our main freelance writing client. So the medical establishment couldn't help us it could tell us our daughter was sick but it couldn't tell us why and we didn't have any money <laughs> all we had was prayer <laughs> and so we learned through prayer and desperation how to navigate mm-hmm. the world with prayer the late and not just prayer alone but prayer holding the mother's hand and mm-hmm. what she showed us was that she could guide us through all kinds of minefields and that the guidance she was offering us at this moment was the very guidance we were going to need for the times ahead with climate change. Mm. Mm. We're not going to think our way through climate change.
2: I agree. I agree with that. I, I'm still struck with this image you said about, you know, these old ladies in the back of the Vatican just praying <laughs> their beads and praying to the mother and working their magic. Yeah. And now this experience that you had of, a very real opportunity to experience that magic. You had no money. Your precious daughter was really ill. You um, couldn't figure it out. And then through prayer and through really walking with the mother, the path was, was opened and everything I mean, obviously is okay and well. And, and you learned probably so much and were initiated into so much, uh, Wisdom about life and how to, how to approach it. And I just love to hear about that magic of prayer and, and how it teaches us and embeds us back into the ecology of, of life.
0: One of the most radical things we ask people in Way of the Rose are, our, our feral fellowship of friends around the world. Our primary question is, what do you want? What is your heart's desire? Now the culture tells us what to want, right? It has a thousand ways of telling us what we should want. Religion tells us what we should want. But the lady has planted seeds in each of our hearts. And those seeds are particular to each of our souls. And knowing what those seeds are, we can begin to help them Mm. grow. And then we help them grow through
3: prayer. Mm. And you know, the heart's desire is the only real, uh, is the only real antidote to, uh, you know, modern totalitarian states, whether they be, you know, corporate capitalism or something else, right? Because we're told what we're supposed to want. We're told what society wants of us, what our culture wants of us or demands of us. But we aren't asked what it is that we truly want, what will truly satisfy us, what will give us a feeling of uh, of stability and strength from within. Right? That doesn't really want us even to have that, it doesn't even want us to ask that question. So a lot of modern life is designed to keep us from asking what we want, lest we actually get it. The rosary really our experience of the rosary is as, as as you suggested was really about reclaiming the ma- the miraculous. There are all these legends in the Middle Ages of our Lady granting prayers, right? This is not the mother of Jesus, who if you have a petition, you give it to her and she takes it to her son and maybe, maybe he will listen and use his magic to answer the prayer. No, no, no. People went directly to the Virgin Mary, often to her statues, right? And they would pray the rosary in front of them. They would make their petition. and these miracle stories, Jesus and God oftentimes aren't even mentioned, People go to the lady. They, they have these desperate prayers, right? The stories are very similar to one another. You know, like a guy, you know, a, a knight's been in battle and a sword is broken off and, you know, the point of a, of a spear or something is festering in a wound. He can't get rid of it and he's dying and he goes and he gets healed. You know, the, the, the stories have in common, uh, people push to the point of desperation. They have, you know, problems that, they don't feel equipped to solve. Only a miracle will do and they get their miracle. And we see this over and over again in our groups.
0: And also, what you know, we're going to need to learn how to live again in the world of magic and miracles. And that isn't a make-believe mm-hmm. world. That's actually the real world that's hidden behind our anthropocentric corporate <laughs> fantasy, right. Right? right? The real world is a world... You know, miracles are entirely organic. They're entirely, you know, we know what it's like to see a rainbow pop out of the sky. We know what it's like when the sun falls on our face unexpectedly or we see a shooting star. And miracles are no less natural and beautiful in our lives. And we've seen them. Miracles of healing, miracles of love. What do people pray for? It's always, you know. I want love, intimacy, connection, community, healing, joy. These are the things, meaningful work. Mm. These are what people want. Home, hearth. I want to share
1: something that you wrote in your book because I think it's a beautiful passage. Deep in the memories of each of my children, I have hidden all that they need to know. You need never worry that you will not know what to do. My hand is there in the dark for you to take it. My presence and my comfort have been with you from the moment you first drew breath. There are many things to learn in life, but only one thing to remember, I stand waiting in your hearts. And I will speak if you will listen and tell you all that you need to know."
3: Pretty much sums it up.
0: (laughs) That we did not write. I should
1: be
3: no, clear about
0: that. No. Mm. I love this
1: passage.
3: The words in the book are all the words of our lady.
1: Yeah, and for me, Lauren shared that she gave me the rosary. My path to global sisterhood was a reclamation of the mother. I was desperately searching for the feminine. I had grown up in a world that really idolized the masculine, and I went to business school, and that kind of path continued as I kept reaching into these heights of like this hierarchy system that I had climbed myself into. And what was missing for me was the feminine. And my path to global sisterhood has brought me to the mother, which connected me to my own mother. It connected me back to my great desire to care and steward our planet and the creatures that exist in our planet. and. It's also created this deep sense of self-love. I think that there was there was probably like a, a a deep hatred that I actually didn't quite know how to name, you know in being a woman, in feeling like I was lesser than and now understanding in a deeper way about you know what the dogma of of believing that the masculine was more important because God was a man, you know, this whole. This whole thing. So I'm just hoping that there's a way we can enter this conversation by kind of unpacking for the people here that have come, you know, any kind of dogma. And even if you didn't grow up in it, it touches you, right? Like we are are in the water of this culture. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you have to share with with these.
3: Yeah, I was raised in a Southern Protestant uh, tradition. where there was no divine feminine at all. I mean, the Virgin Mary was basically a Galilean housewife, right? And she appeared once a year in some manger scene at the local church, right? So there was, uh, you know, I I had no reference point for any of this. And he left
0: all that to join another boy's club. A
3: a Zen monastery, right? (laughs) Extremely patriarchal tradition, like uh a tradition that's so patriarchal, it doesn't even know it's patriarchal, right? <laughs> you know, it's just uh, sort of blind to its own, uh, you know, to its own boys club, as it were. I studied Zen for 14 years. You know, I found myself in charge. I was, uh, you know, in line to become the abbot of the monastery in my own temple. And, uh, suddenly I realized, you know, that something was wrong and I had to leave. I wasn't even sure why I needed to leave. But, you know, it's it, it's easy to take the boy out of the patriarchy. It's harder to take the patriarchy out of the boy. So I spent like the next, what, you know, like 20 years trying to get patriarchy right. And I studied, I had no idea that all the different spiritual traditions that I was studying were patriarchal traditions. Bernita will tell you, you know, that when the apparitions began in 2011, uh, you know, I had no books on the divine feminine. Uh, in, in my vast spiritual library. Not one. And so it really took me by surprise.
0: I'm going to get a footnote here, though. And yet, as his beloved wife, <laughs> who can put up with him? <laughs> I will tell you that what Clark did have was a profound intimacy with the natural world. Mm. And he was someone who, since he was a little boy, had awoken at night to walk outdoors in the darkness. Um Clark's book before this is called *Waking Up to the Dark*, which you mentioned. Um It's been republished recently, and the new subtitle, which was really the old subtitle, is *The Black Madonna's Gospel for an Age of Extinction and Collapse*. But Clark right. was someone who could hike up a mountain in the middle of the night off trail, who wasn't frightened of the earth, and wasn't frightened, and loved women. Do you know? Yeah. I, I, you know? As a, no,
3: I, I'm not. You know, we're 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 not uh, talking sorry. like about misogyny here or anything like that, but just just the sort of default and I think maybe this is what you were sort of talking about Shana is the default to patriarchy the default to a you know a, a white male god right I mean I you know I was very much uh you know raised in that tradition so when the apparitions began and our lady showed up it really took me completely by surprise I mean I can't tell you how profoundly shocked I was I felt like Everything I had learned up until that moment was was wrong, or at the very least, woefully incomplete.
2: Hmm. Could you speak more about the apparitions and your encounters and your visions of the Holy Mother? Oh, actually, well, she appeared as a girl. Yes,
3: she appeared as a girl. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she she continued to appear as in in her young younger form, as sort of the maiden. Yeah, it was uh, in in June uh, the the night of June uh, 15th, 2011. She actually appeared after midnight, so it was the 16th. And I got up to, uh, you know, indulge my lifelong habit of walking in the middle of the night. I wake up after a few hours of sleep. I wrote about this in Waking Up to the Dark. And I had my hand on the doorknob for my, you know, to leave the house for my usual walk. And I felt a hand on my shoulder. And uh, I turned around, there was no one there, but a voice said, a male voice said, don't go out tonight, remain inside and be very, very still. And so, uh, you know, I had, was not a person who heard voices or had visions or anything like that. I've been a Zen monk where you're really trained, you know, that sort of thing was trained out of you, right? Just very strict, straight meditation and uh but i didn't know how to do that so i knew how to get still and quiet so i got on the couch and i made myself very quiet and i meditated and i closed my eyes and uh about 45 minutes later i felt the presence of someone in the room suddenly uh with no uh, preamble or no preparation there's just some, i felt that there was someone there so i opened my eyes and the first thing i saw was two reed stalks blowing the house had disappeared it was like it was in the middle of a marsh. I just saw these two reed stalks blowing in the dark. And then they vanished, and then their place was the face uh, of a girl of about maybe 17 years old. She had a round face, uh, a pale face, freckles around her nose, short, cropped, auburn hair, hazel eyes. And across her mouth was uh, uh, an X of black electrical tape. And she was very close, two or three feet from me. So I I could have reached out and touched her had I wanted to. And, uh, my first thought, I think was, Oh yeah, this is what the Zen masters warned you against. They called these makyo or illusions. And the wisdom was that if you just stared them down and gave them no attention or no valence, they would disappear. Visions like this would, you know, can occur in deep meditation. So. I tried that. I tried it for all of about three or four seconds. And then I had this overwhelming realization. Oh, the Zen masters were wrong. Right? This is not illusion. If there's an illusion here, it's me. She is real. If there's any illusion, it must be me. So I, I looked at her. She looked back at me and I didn't know what to say. I, you know, I, I thought at the very least the tape needs to come off. I don't think anyone could have, could have witnessed her that night and done anything but what I did, which was to reach out and to pull the tape back from her lips. I could feel, uh, I could feel it, uh, you know, the, the, her skin. I could feel the, the resistance of the tape as I pulled it away from her skin. And when I did that, she gave a great gasp. Like, uh, as if she hadn't been able to breathe for thousands of years. And then I opened my mouth to ask the obvious question, like, you know, who are you? What, what is this? What is going on? And she shook her head and she just continued to stare at me. And after I don't know how long, um, you know, the Zen monk part of my brain won out and I closed my eyes. When I opened them again, about 40 minutes later, she was gone. But the next morning, I woke up and I turned the house upside down looking for that X of black electrical tape. I was sure I would found it. I would find it. That's how, how real the experience was.
0: And one would think that I would respond with reverence and awe to this, but mostly (laughs) I responded like I wanted to slap him and go snap out of it. Like, Oh no. Oh no. Like we got a sick kid, the laundry's got to be done. Jonah's going to a swim meet. I can't deal.
3: What is going on? What is
0: going on? And our lives became so upturned. And I write about the next part of the story. We always talk about the Way of the Rose trilogy. That Clark's book, Waking Up to the Dark, is the first book. Way of the Rose is the second, and the third is my book, Take Back the Magic. And you know, things got wild. Things got yeah. really wild, like, and... I mean, he,
3: the portal was open. The
0: portal was open, and, in like, I house. was in the house doing the laundry, and I've got the big laundry basket, and I'm going from upstairs to downstairs, and I'm walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden, stars start falling out of the sky, in, of, of the ceiling around me. Mm-hmm. And it was as if worlds were falling around me, and I had to get onto my knees. I mean, I couldn't, I it wasn't, like, a choice. I just fell to my knees as stars fell all around me. Mm-hmm. And then it was over. And so there was very strange, powerful time, you know, and then you go back and you pick up the laundry and you change the kitty litter and, you right. know, and life, lot, goes, life on. goes on. We and have that's kids. why the rosary is sort yes. of embedded. I didn't know what to make of any of this. I really didn't. And, but what happened was the lady herself with the tape off her mouth began to speak. And I've been Clark's editor for 30 years. I've read everything he's written, every diary entry, every poem, I, you know, we've worked written books together. I know his diction, I know his word choice, I know his habits as a writer.
2: And this wasn't my husband who was speaking. Would you write what she said to you and then you would read what he wrote?
3: In the beginning, I was able to she spoke very little in the beginning. She would say things like 10 weeks after that she woke me up in the middle of the night on Cape Cod, and uh, she said, "If you rise to say the Rosary tonight, a column of saints will support your prayer." Now that was short enough that I could remember it and write it down, and so there were a lot of things she said early on that I, that that you know I was able to write down uh, later. Uh, she decided she wanted to begin giving, you know, formal messages that were to be shared with other people. And when that happened, I was uh, not only not able to remember everything that she had said; I wasn't able to remember oftentimes anything of what she was had said. And so I would have to dictate it to Perdita, who would write it down.
2: Hmm. And what Shana read—that was one of those channeling
3: so
0: she's she yeah, one of those longer mm-hmm. messages she's she offers a message on the 16th of every month and those messages are all available on wayoftherose.org under our lady speaks and for anyone to read and you know many of them are in the book the way of the rose but they're all there on the website for free for everybody
3: yeah and just to be clear you know this is uh this is an apparition of the Virgin Mary outside of the Catholic Church. She doesn't talk about Catholicism or the Church at all, really. And, uh, she talks a lot about, uh, climate change, species extinction, what's happening in the world today and what's coming and about how to negotiate it, you know, by, by praying for our hearts desire and praying the rosary together. But yeah, she never has anything to say about religion proper. Mm.
1: I find that to be so interesting and also it relates to a lot of conversations I've had around people who have studied Gnosticism who talk about Christ and also Sophie, right? This is a conversation we have with Sophie and, you know, how Christ never, and, you know, the story never deemed himself to be this person that we've made him. And so it seems like with Mary too, there's like this deep trust and humility. Well, you
0: know, when you look at the Christian story, I do say that the best way back into the Christian story is through our daughter, Sophie Strand. She has two books, mm-hmm. I think, that replant that story back into its, its ecology. Um, you know, she just published a book, came out two weeks ago, uh, The Flowering Wand about this recovering the sacred masculine. And, uh, which she never expected to write because, but she had written a, an extraordinary book that will be out in August called The Madonna Secret, which is about the kind of alchemy of the sacred masculine and the divine feminine.
3: It's a novel. It's
0: a novel. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of amazing about the Rosary is it's a devotion to the mother that incorporates the masculine. And it's very interesting because the rosary alternates two prayers, the Our Father, which many people know, and the Hail Mary. And the Hail Mary was a prayer that emerged out of the devotions of the faithful in the Middle Ages. It wasn't a prayer that was written down and imposed from on high. It was a prayer that came out of people's love, the Mother. And it was actually an Secret invocation to the triple goddess, as I shared with you before this began. It was a way of hiding their love of the triple goddess in plain sight of the church fathers. But the rosary alternates two prayers. So you say one our father and then ten Hail Marys. Just to remind you who's more important. One <laughs> our father, ten Hail Marys. And that's the rhythm of the Hail of this prayer. But it's an alchemical rhythm.
3: Right.
0: Blending masculine and feminine and moving in between those two energies. Um, Clark sometimes describes it I think really beautifully as like the whale comes up for air with the Our Father and then dives down into the depths of the darkness with those Hail Marys. Mm-hmm. And you often feel that we once had a way of the Rose Circle in person before COVID and a newcomer came and we were all praying the rosary together. And on the third mystery of the rosary, everyone in the room except the newcomer fell asleep. (laughs) The newcomer didn't know what to do. (laughs) And she watched as we all fell asleep, and we were just moving our beads. And she was like, what do I do? What do I do? And then we got to the fourth mystery, and everybody woke up and continued. (laughs) And the rosary has this rhythm of moving between sleep and wake male and female, it begins, it takes us into those liminal marshlands of becoming Mm. um, that Clark witnessed that night. Many psychics play the rosary because it takes them back and forth across Mm. the veil. Mm. And many people who pray the rosary experience that like, oh, things are getting kind of wild here, you know. Mm. A lot of those old ladies knew that.
3: The rosary is basically a kind of a, a way of, of becoming spiritually reparented, right? Because you have these male and female prayers and it, it places you in a a twilight sort of liminal sort of space where you can uh take in things and feel things and understand things that that aren't necessarily uh available to us uh, by the the full light of of uh Artificially illuminated modern consciousness, right? It places us in a very a somewhat dimmer, uh, dimmer space, right? Where the whole world sort of contracts to to just, you know, the space around our bodies and our fingers on the beads and our breath, right? It becomes a it's a very uh, soothing, uh, very present minded, wholehearted activity.
0: And one of the things I would say about like Gnosticism too is that. The rosary is a, is an embodied prayer. We're holding. It's a tangible object. It's something. People I mean, we'll love holding their rosaries, right? It's just good to have them in your pocket. Like, I've got my rosary here. I'm holding it. I'm fussing with it. It's the fidget spinner we need, right? And we love wearing them because they make us look beautiful. Lady loves us to feel beautiful. And people love making really beautiful rosaries and wearing them. And... It brings us back into our bodies hmm. and to love our bodies. A lot of religion has been about hating the body, hating matter, being repulsed by our desires. And one of the things, the first things the lady said about the rosary that I found, I knew he didn't write it. I, <laughs> I could, but just like life changing for me, um, which I say all the time now, she said, The rosary is my body. My body is the body of the world. Your body is one with that body. What cause could there be for fear? Yeah. And so much of masculine energy of patriarchy we lived under has been a desire to transcend the body, to become mind only, to become artificial intelligence, to leave this planet and go live on Mars. I mean, these smart guys think they can go live on Mars and I want to go, and what about your gut biome? You know, like, like you idiots, you idiots. <laughs> know. Planning on taking
3: a planet worth of dirt with you? <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, I mean, they, they don't know how enmeshed their body is with the body of this earth. And, and they're so, mo- they're so unmothered, right? That's what we see right. when we look at these yeah. weak guys. They're so unmothered. And Our Lady reminds us that our bodies, We we were birthed in the body of our mother. We were birthed in the body of this earth. And we will be reborn again and again and again. The rosary, religion tells us a linear story that begins in Genesis and ends with apocalypse, right? We're terrified there's apocalypse waiting for us. But the rosary tells a story that goes through the mysteries of birth, the mysteries of death. And then the mysteries of rebirth and reincarnation. And this is what people living in those villages knew. They watched, they knew the moon disappeared and the moon came back. They knew the seasons disappeared and came back, that the whole world was coming and going and reuniting with itself. World Amen. without end. Amen. Yeah. And that circle of wisdom and that circle of wisdom is the wisdom of the mother, isn't it?
3: You know, the basic prayer of the rosary, the Hail Mary, is itself a a, a, a circular in shape. Hail Mary, this is the traditional version. Bernita will share another version in a minute, but this is the one that most people know. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So so it's a circular prayer that we repeat 10 times for every, quote, decade of the rosary. 50 times in all, or 150 if you say, a full rosary. And that mantra traces the course of a soul from the womb to the tomb and back again. So that we're rehearsing that the soul's journey over and over again when we say the rosary. So that eventually what settles into it is just like a, a settlement, a, a sediment that collects in a riverbend, right? And that sediment collects within our souls, and it teaches us that there is no real coming and going from this world. We're always here. We're always with the mother. We're always embraced by her arms.
2: Hmm. So you have landed where I was. I was... Fiddling through these pages of your book here trying to find a quote, but you've basically went to the place that I wanted to go to. <laughs> and there are many things I want to say. One, I love whenever I hear, and there's an there's actually an episode of the podcast that's coming out right after your episode where we talk about this very thing. But you just said the womb and the tomb. And in all actuality, the tomb is the mother's womb to be reborn again and i received um a song that came through me a spiritual song that said these words in it mm-hmm. and it was the first time i'd ever heard those words and i've they've been i've been a student of those words ever since mm-hmm. and i have a teacher her name is claudia she's a teacher to many people but she's the woman doesn't have to speak my same language and being in her presence is so vastly okay. clarifying for me and one day, she was helping me in a really big way, in a really big moment of my life. I've always been a medium, and growing up in this world, not knowing what that meant, being an out-of-control medium was the first chapter of my life. And with her guidance and with the guidance of many, I began to take control over that gift and so that it wasn't a curse anymore. And there was a particular ceremony that took place for me that she helped support. And afterwards, she gave me her rosary. And she looked at me and she said, pray this. And when you pray, feel. Don't just go into your mind and say the words, feel. What's in your body, and go on that journey. And I'm still on that journey, and that was, you know, a decade ago. And the feeling aspect and the cyclical nature of my feelings. I have such a indoctrination of the linear, of If I do this enough, I will get to X, Y, Z, and then I can be free from pain. And then I can be free (laughs) from from all of these things because I'll be worthy in the eyes of God and all the blessings will rain upon me. And I know that that's such an illusion, but it's a very, very, very deeply ingrained trick of my psyche. And to recognize that I'm going to revisit myself and my patterns and my karma and what I'm here with on a, in a cyclical way, and a seasonal way, and to make deep surrendered peace with that and recognize that I'm going to have many deaths and many births and many rebirths on this journey over and over again on that spiral. I love that you write about how the rosary is a tool for that remembrance, and it just makes so much sense to me.
0: My next book is all about that reincarnate journey and
3: recovering it through the rosary. Which Our Lady calls the long story. The
0: long story of our souls. And, you know, I just have to say that many mediums have helped us and come to the rosary group and been guides. And, you know, that mediumship, traditionally, the rosary was prayed to be in conversation with the dead and the ancestral wisdom of the dead. And we at our rosary circles always pray with the dead and invite the dead to join us mm-hmm. and to pray with us. Mm-hmm. And so that when our lady said to Clark, if you rise to pray the rosary tonight, a column of saints will support your prayer. What she meant was all the dead, mm-hmm. all the dead that have ever been our own past lives, all of our mothers and mm-hmm. fathers from all of our past lives, all of our mothers and fathers from our lives to come. Mm-hmm. We pray that we pray, and suddenly they're all showing up to pray mm. with us.
3: And our our lady uh, spoke to that directly. She said, "I speak to you with one voice, right? Meaning an apparition, meaning you know uh, messages, but the voices below me are many.
2: The voices
3: mm. below me are many. I speak to you with one voice, but the she is the sum of all of that ancestral wisdom and all those voices."
0: I want to talk to you more about your mediumship
2: another time. Yeah, I would love that.
0: that. that, That's my other favorite, other favorite topic.
2: (laughs) Well, the rosary has been huge, huge for learning how to navigate, learning about my vessel and how to feel what I am and what's not me. And then I always pray Hail Marys when I'm working with another energy that's present that needs my help. Mm Many
0: psychics, do you know Jonathan Edwards wrote a book about the rosary? I, I, I am astounded no. at how many psychics pray the rosary, even if they weren't raised Catholic.
3: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very, very common.
0: I was just feeling the presence of your grandmother, Susan, from the beginning, and her rosary it's coming to you. You know, we've forgotten, too, that I have two different rosaries I pray, and I have two children, and I know that I am filling them with prayers. That Aww. objects take on prayer, right? They, They... I want those rosaries to go to my two children, and I want them to go to my grandchildren and my descendants. And, you know, when we are given an old rosary like your grandmother's rosary, it's truly filled with her prayers for you. She felt well, I,
2: I think I lost it somewhere in my teenage years. Well, so. it happens.
3: <laughs> sure maybe my mature.
2: mother has it. My mother tended <laughs> to take away valuable things so and hide them for when I was more mature. So maybe she has it somewhere.
0: <laughs> It'll, you, can't,
3: it, you can't lose the prayer. You
0: know, I, have a, I had a beloved rosary and I lost it and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was convinced it was gone And two years later, it showed up in the driveway. Like, it was hiding on me. It was playing hide and seek.
1: Yeah, undamaged on the driveway
3: after, you know, countless snowplows. Who
1: knew? (laughs) I totally have this experience with the rosary Lauren gave me. Like, all of a sudden, it will just be gone. And it will be like when I need it most. And I'm like, where is the rosary? So I'll just like, I'll just count on my fingers, you know, and I just do it (laughs) counting on my fingers. Because I'm like, I have 10. This works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but then all of a sudden, I'll find it. And it's always like when I'm going through a process of learning something, and then the mm. realization will happen, and I'll find the beads. Yeah. And Right now I'm in a process of where is my rosary? So I'm just waiting for the moment. <laughs>
0: so am I actually just before this began, I took the dog out for a walk, and I think I dropped my rosary on the road I'm like, panic. I'm gonna have to go look for it. but I know and also I've lost rosaries, like I've left them you know, McDonald's on the throughway, and I just figured, well, that rosary was filled with prayers for someone who's going to need them, you know.
2: Yeah. Can we talk about the healing of shame oh. with the Rosary? because as we're talking about losing rosaries i remember when i first really became devoted on my spiritual path and still to this day you know shame is a big thing that i work with but i remember the first time my rosary i now have rosaries that i've adapted to to feel more like me but i used to have you know the standard crucifix at the bottom of the rosary mm-hmm. i remember i had done something bad or whatever I had deemed bad, and then I lost the cross on my rosary. <laughs> and whether that was a message for me or not, I I felt deep shame, and it like and and for a long time I feel like shame propelled me deeper into spirituality to mm-hmm. somehow become purer or better. Mm-hmm. But now I'm in a very 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 completely opposite different experience with shame. And I want to talk about that because I feel like it is a very important topic.
3: Mm. Well, w- one, one thing I think anyone who uh, wants to go to wayoftherose.org and read Our Lady Speaks, which are the messages of, uh, of Our Lady, there is a conspicuous lack of shame, shame based language or shame based ideas among our messages. The, I think the thing that people say over and over again. It's one of the things that people say most often when they read the messages is that they feel unburdened by those feelings, you know, which are really designed to control us, right? And to, to delegitimize our, our desires oftentimes.
0: Well, I'd like to talk about the purpose of shame and why, what purpose has shame served in the manipulation of people to keep them subservient and frightened? Mm -hmm. and women have been made to be ashamed of their bodies for the 10,000 reasons. We should be ashamed of our bodies because they're bodies and that what we want to be is all light, all purity, that our bodies, because they bleed, because they defecate, because they decay, are wrong and bad. All earth is wrong and bad. Nature is Messy and wrong and bad, right? That the shame of our very bodies, the decay of our bodies is somehow a mistake. That death is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Death is that somehow. our
2: desires are untrustworthy. And
0: that's right. the biggest is that yeah. our desires and our sexuality are untrustworthy. And one of the things that's really fun about those Valium Virgins I was talking about, you know, their little open hands and their little veiled Marys, their blue and white Mary, there she is in front of your local Catholic church, is if you look at her, she's based on the miraculous metal, you will really realize that she is a vulva and her head is a clitoris. So (laughs) I love that so much, thank you. (laughs) She has snuck in (laughs) to the room and said, <laughs> I am, you know, tonight is the eve of the feast day of the Immaculate Conception, which is a very misunderstood even by Catholics. This is an idea that emerged in the 19th century when at Lourdes, the lady appeared to a young peasant girl, practically illiterate, called Bernadette Soubirous, And her local priest told her, and the cardinal showed up and said, well, ask her who she is. You know, is she married? And she goes to the lady, Bernadette, this young girl extraordinary young girl goes to says lady who are you I want me to be? she said I am the immaculate conception I am she doesn't say I was conceived immaculately I was I was conceived without sex which is what everybody thinks she's saying she's saying I didn't have sex to have Jesus like sex is bad
3: not even about Jesus no she, she says not... I am sex I am sex <laughs> she, <laughs> I, am
0: I am all of care.
2: creation
0: I am I am I am all that is, I am the great womb of the universe. And in fact, that's what it means. And we're on the eve of that night, and to reclaim our sexuality, to reclaim our bodies and our desires. I mean, it can be so moving. Do we have a right to pleasure as women? Are we worthy of joy and pleasure? The lady says yes. In fact, Clark has written a great deal about how in the middle ages that, that the lady frequently talked about the orgasmic experience. Well, here's, here's a great
3: little story. The
0: Annunciation.
3: The Rosary, the Hail Mary begins. The Rosary begins the following way. There's this little thing they call a versicle in the liturgy that just as the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary, when he, you know, comes to see her and tell her that, you know, invite her to participate in this divine cosmic marriage and to give birth to Jesus. He says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Ave Maria, Grazia plena, dominus tecum. So that was the entire rosary for 500 years. That was all people said. There were no mysteries. There was no Our Father. There was no anything but just those six words. Ave Maria, gratia plena, dominus tecum. And people would come before statues, and they would recite these words, and then they would bow down. But interestingly, the legends said that the word "tekum," meaning with you, the Lord is with you, they interpreted basically that to mean the Lord is inside of you, meaning Jesus (laughs) is inside of you, God is inside of you. And (laughs) medieval people believed that this was the moment of conception. So there's this great story where there's this nun, where she's like saying, Avi Maria Gracia Plana Avi Maria Gracia Teca, Avi Maria Gracia plain take. Our lady appears to her and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Slow down. Because when you say Domingos Tecum, I am, my body is filled with such joy and ecstasy that I want that moment to last. So say it really, really super slow, right? (laughs) This is one of the most famous legends from the Middle Ages. And wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, most people understood when they were going before these statues and bowing down that they were, you know, taking the place of the angel. They were participating in an act of divine sexual union, that this was the merging of the god and the goddess, right, to, you know, to recreate the world.
0: You may have seen those beautiful Tibetan pictures of you know the god and goddess in congress together. Have you? I once went to a Tibetan retreat, you know, where you had to visualize the god and goddess having sex and their juices flowing through you, right? And you know, <laughs> everything what <laughs> <but> a wonderful. <laughs> but that's the first line of the of the Hail Mary. Yeah. So sometimes the way I say it is Hail Mary, full of graces, full of graces. Thy lover is with thee. So mm. you have that moment of union you know between two lovers right and that that's what that kind of cosmic eroticism is what's going to recreate life on this planet and everything when we start to pray for our heart's desire to go back to shame we realize that everything is praying for their heart's desire right the fireflies are praying to find the right firefly. The the mountains are praying for snow right now where I live. You know, the bears are praying for love. Everyone's praying for love and eros, you know. 37 different kinds of fungi are praying for 37 different kinds of fungi love, you know. <laughs> and there's so many different kinds of ecstasy. And what does it mean to re-participate in the eros of the world? That's what the rosary is it is, is an erotic.
3: Invitation. Yeah. I mean, the medieval rosary was shot through with eros from one end to the other. I mean, there, St. Bernard, right, has entire sermons about kissing, right? <laughs> entire sermons. And he said, don't go to Mary and say, Ave Maria Grazia Plena Dominus Tecum without kissing her statue. <laughs> he says she wants a kiss. <laughs> right, and so he's got whole I sermons about this. So, <laughs> oh, far, far so from much, there being any right? people being asked to suppress their eros or their sexuality, the fact that they had bodies, or a Lady has a body, or that far from avoiding that or suppressing it or trying to be all spirit or all pure, people were constantly invited to to reenact the, the sort of primal tantric aspect of, uh, of, of of their devotion to Our Lady. Hmm.
1: So much life energy in this. <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> that's what we all want, right? Like, how are we going to regreen the earth in this moment of concrete asphalt catastrophe if not with erotic love? I think
1: that's an invitation for all of us. Thank you. And yeah, I want to be here. I want to be with the earth and talk about this because many times since coming to Global Sisterhood and my recalibration with the energy of the mother, I've been shown these like really kind of dark visions of this like very large masculine looking energy sucking from the earth and the earth shriveling. Mm. The earth to me is symbolic of the feminine, it's symbolic of this life-giving force. And this man is this wealthy man that just keeps getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And to me, this image is like this this depiction of this energy that it exists, you know, in our collective consciousness of like the extraction and the yes. like taking from right. and, and the lack of devotion. And so I'm, I'm curious about like your your view on what's happening now within the climate conversation. And then where are we going? Like, what do we do as earth stewards and caretakers of our beautiful planet? Like, yeah, what's your vision for that as well?
3: Well, Our Lady makes it very clear. And she says this over and over again, that to center yourself through the rosary in your heart's desire, to pray the rosary for your heart's desire and to support other people in doing the same, right, is to reclaim your connection to the blessings that the earth provides and that you provide to the earth and to participate uh, in that relationship more and more fully. And uh, it is also the antidote to that extractive culture that sees the whole world and everything in it as basically a theme park for Homo sapiens, right? Right so it's the antidote to that and so we learn to as perdita often says we learn to be uh low slow Slow,
0: low and a small slow and low to the ground
3: (laughs) that's right that's right small slow slow, and low. low to the ground and so it's it's a it's a more uh modest way of living but it's a way of living that builds strong intimate relationships with other people when you know what a person is praying for what their heart's desire is. You forge the kinds of relationships that can, uh, that will sustain us going forward and allow us to live, uh, in a very different way. And it's largely, you know, that, that, you know, sort of fat Mr. money bags from the Monopoly game, you know, like who's just raking in all the cash and, you know, extracting everything possible from the earth and, you know, oil and coal and everything else, iridium. These, uh, that, that image of human beings can only be displaced by something, uh, that is infinitely more wholesome. And that only arise from within. We have to reclaim our humanity, our real humanity from within. Right. We can't, we can't, uh, nurse from the breast of the culture. We have, we have to go to the earth instead.
0: Well, I also think too that we have to know what we want because otherwise the culture is going to tell us to want. We have a friend who's an ecological activist, and he said the prayer of most Americans right now is, please, God, may I keep on being able to drive to Walmart to buy more shit. And, you know, <laughs> and that really is what people are praying for. Let I don't want things to change. And what Our Lady says, one of the really radical things is to take our hands off the steering wheel. And we think we're human beings. We're in charge. We're we, we're we going to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. And can we trust our lady to make the right choices with her own body? I mean, that's what I want to trust, is that she's going to guide me, that she's in charge of her body, and my job is to show up and help out and do the dishes. And, you know, and maybe it's the weeds breaking through the concrete. Look at you begin to participate and see all of nature around us. And also, I think a lot of the sobriety is knowing we're going to be reborn to this world and to this planet. There are a lot of people, older people, who imagine, I'm going to die before climate change gets too bad. No, you're going to be reborn into climate change when it's really <laughs> bad. <laughs> you may not be lucky to be a rich American next time. And for young people who are involved In taking care of the earth right now. And so many young people are doing such extraordinary things. I think the thing to remember is the mother has got this. She has done climate change before. It doesn't necessarily mean the world is going to look the way we imagine. We are stepping into vast mysteries, Mm. but she will hold our hand through those mysteries. You know, 70,000 years ago, there was an eruption of a volcano at Mount Toba, and it reduced the number of human beings on this planet to about 5,000. This is not history most people, most of us know. And what did those people do? They made beads, and they held on to their mother, they <laughs> did, they made beads, and they held on to their mother, and they navigated a radical climate change there have been radical changes. And the way we will get through it is holding, it's, I, it's the, I, the way I often think about it is like, I'm a kid going back to Walmart. I'm a kid in the parking lot at Walmart. And what mother says to a child in that parking lot is, hold my hand. You cannot see what's going on here. Do not let go of my hand. And our mother says to us right now, hold my hand. I got, I can see the big picture. You're not going to navigate this parking lot by yourself.
2: So for our last question, we usually ask people to uh, embody the great mother and allow the great mother to speak through them as a message for us all. And I, I do want you both to do that if you could. And I would love first for you to say the version of the Hail Mary that incorporates the triple-faced goddess, Pradeet. So
0: the Hail Mary is a prayer, like I said, that was not created by Catholic priests and used to impose piety on people. But it was a prayer that arose in an oral tradition among women. And it is an invocation of the triple goddess, the triple goddess being the maiden, the mother, and the crone, those three stages of the moon. Hail, maiden, full of graces, thy lover is with thee. Blessed art thou among mothers, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, life. Holy crone, queen of the cosmos, Pray for us now and at the hour of our death. So be it.
2: And if the mother could speak through you in these moments, what would she have you say to all of us?
0: What do you want for Christmas? (laughs) what every mother's asking her child right now. What do you want for Christmas? (laughs) What do you want? Truly. Madly, deeply. What do you want that you no longer thought was possible? What do you want that it would take a miracle to get? Mm-hmm. What do you want that you would commit to lifetimes in the pursuit of that desire and that longing? What do you want?
1: And Clark, do you have a message that you would want to share?
3: Well, I guess I'll just uh, piggyback off Perdita and... Uh, you know, tell you what Our Lady said to me I'll just pass along what she said Perdita mentioned uh, her waking me up in the middle of the night and saying if you rise to say the rosary tonight a column of saints will support your prayer well I guess I've been afraid of, up until that point that maybe it really was the Virgin Mary I was <laughs> seeing. I was terrified I was going to have to become Catholic <laughs> so I realized at that point that it, it, it clearly it was Our, Our Lady and uh, you know there aren't too many people who, uh, at, you know, ask you to pray the rosary and make promises based on whether you accept the invitation or not. So I started that night, uh, you know, after having not said the rosary for, what, 10 or 12 years, you know. You know it's been twenty or 12 years since I learned it in Taos, New Mexico. And so um, I started saying again. And I had said it, I think, for about two weeks. And I was walking just on the road by our house, in the middle of the night, saying the rosary. I'd just finished saying it, and Our Lady was there, and she stopped right in front of me and met my gaze, and she said, "You haven't prayed for anything yet. Is there nothing you want?" It, it was like the it was the closest to a scolding I've ever gotten from her. Right. You haven't prayed for anything. You've been saying the rosary for two weeks now, but you haven't asked for anything. Don't you want anything? That's what she was asking. And, and you know, I had, you know, been trained as a Zen monk. And so I, I was just saying it like a mantra, right? I was just getting very still inside. It hadn't occurred to me to pray for anything or ask for anything. Right. And for me, that was like a real watershed moment. You know, when she said, is there nothing you want? I've never been on. No Zen master, all the Tibetan lamas I met, you know, the various, you know, gurus and imams and holy people I met, not one of them had ever said to me, what do you want? What do you most deeply desire?
0: And at the place where Our Lady spoke to Clark is a statue of Our Lady of Woodstock. You can see the picture of her on our website, wayoftherose.org. And we invite you, when she brings you your Christmas present, whenever that may be, to do participate in the medieval tradition. And the tradition was that you went on pilgrimage twice to the lady with your heart's desire. And when she granted you your heart's desire, you went back to, yes, give her a kiss. And so Our Lady is often covered in kisses and flowers. And we have a book there at the Shrine to Our Lady of Woodstock in Woodstock, New York, that people have written their miracle stories. She has brought people love, She has brought babies to people who thought they would never have babies. She has brought healings to people who thought healing was impossible. She's brought homes and jobs and meaning and love to people. And so picture Our Lady of Woodstock, ask her for what you want for Christmas. And when she grants your desire, you come and give her a great big mushy kiss.
2: (laughs) I'm crying. <laughs> Thank you so much for. Thank you this chat and for who you are and for the beautiful books that you have written for your beautiful daughter, Sophie, and all that you are birthing and desiring and creating. And for those of you listening, we really hope you enjoyed this episode and highly, highly, highly suggest that you buy The Way of the Rose and go on this journey with us in honor of the earth, in honor of our grandmothers, uh, the magic and also all that we desire. Thank you. Thank, Thank you.
0: you. I think Lauren, you and I are wearing the same necklace.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Isn't we are funny? wearing
2: the same Isn't necklace. That
0: a, Isn't that funny? I just put it on this morning.
2: <laughs> Me too. You
3: don't normally wear <laughs> that. I don't so for really those wearing.
2: of you those of you who are listening, we have a picture of our lady and this like beautiful pendant. That we're wearing it's a miraculous around our metal.
3: It's, a vulva a
2: miraculous wearing. metal. it's the Volvo. A miraculous metal. That's the Volvo. You're right. The Volvo. The Volvo. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time in the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books, and it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review, and you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to global to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram episodes drop every single thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes in store so until then loves much love and a big big hug